you get the chance in each of these dating interactions to practice listening, to practice understanding another person's point of view. And especially if you're coming to meet a stranger, you don't know any of this yet. We like to try to go through the dating apps and shortcut it and say like, well, I, I, I saw which emojis were on their profile and therefore I know them. You know, we want to mm-hmm. shortcut it. And I know why we I know we want to shortcut it because it does take a lot of time and effort to go through this swiping process. Apps changed because people wanted easy. They wanted yeah. ease of use. Like the barrier for entry used to be really high for online dating. Now it's super low. There's no gatekeepers. It's free now. You know, we used to have to pay for it. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are joined once again by Damona Hoffman, the resident love expert of The Drew Barrymore Show, OkCupid's official dating coach, a writer, and fellow podcaster. Damona is the host of the award-winning podcast, Dates and Mates. We were on an episode of that titled Multi-Amory and Short King Spring. She is also an advice columnist for the LA Times and a writer on dating and relationships for The Washington Post. Today, we will be talking about Demona's new upcoming book, F the Fairy Tale, Rewriting the Dating Myths and Live Your Own Love Story. Demona, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so nice to be back with you. Thank you. Now, a weird question to start out with, because I noticed that you chose to title the book F the Fairy Tale instead of doing, I think, the other thing that writers do, which is like F star 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 the fairy tale, you know, was there was there a lot of discussion and, you know, grief about that when you're trying to make that decision about the title? Well, I'll say you all have published a book. So, <laughs> you know, that decisions are made by committee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that was just what we landed on. But there was a lot of discussion. Originally, it had a completely different title. But I really felt like this title captured the dating zeitgeist of the moment. You know, I just, that's what I hear on Dates and Mates. That's what I hear from people that are just so, so exhausted and frustrated by dating today. And so I wanted to really capture that feeling that a lot of people are having, but then also offer a more hopeful way to look at being able to move forward in dating and relationships. Yeah. So your book is based around what you identify as four major myths that can complicate the dating process and can hold us back from finding success. And we're going to dive into those myths shortly. But before we do, is there one single piece of bad dating advice out there that gets under your skin and you just wish would go away? I just hate the phrase, love will happen when you least expect it. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. I've just proven that to be false so many (laughs) times because I've been doing this. I've been coaching people for over 17 years. And I've just seen that every time 
one of my clients puts the same focus towards finding the relationship that they want, that they do everything else that they're successful at, things work out <laughs> and they're able to get their needs met. And I, I just have, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen. This idea where it's just going to fall in your lap. I think that's a myth. And that's part of the, you know, the fairy tales. And look, I love a rom-com as much as the next gal, but I think they kind of, they kind of did us dirty, right? They made yeah. us sure. Sure. Uh, think that relationships were supposed to be one way or that it was supposed to happen a certain way. And then people get angry when I say, well, let's put a process around finding love. They're like, no, oh, that's not how it is in Drew Barrymore movies. <laughs> and even Drew Barrymore <laughs> agrees. It's not the that's same. so funny. I love that. It's, it's funny. I was recently watching a rom-com with a friend of mine. And through the whole thing, I'm, I can't help myself. I'm like commenting on, oh, that's not actually a very healthy way to look at relationships or like, oh, that's not how stuff works. And then I'm also crying at the end of the movie as they finally <laughs> get together. And then afterward, I'm like, yeah, no, it was terrible romance. It's not a healthy relationship. I don't think it's going to last, but like, it still gets me. You've been no, programmed. We get so caught up. Yeah. We get so caught up. And all my favorite rom-coms are like anti-rom-coms. Like mm -hmm. I love my best friend's wedding. Which is like a rock, <laughs> sort of, but like <laughs> it's kind of this woman is trying to steal her best friend away from the person that he's marrying yeah. and in love with. And she's trying to like sabotage the whole thing. It's like a, not a that's not a that's not healthy either. <laughs> well, so, OK, what I'm curious about, though, is I think that piece of advice, oh, love's going to happen when you least expect it. I think there is the rom-com version of that, that it is going to be a mystical fairy tale. But sometimes I think that advice gets trotted out to people who are feeling really frustrated by the dating process or feeling like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of these apps. I'm so sick of going on dates. I'm so sick of like putting in effort. And then I think that advice is like, oh, you got to it's like a butterfly. Once you stop trying to catch it, it's going to land on your nose and it's going to be great. And so I guess I wonder in that situation when someone's coming to you being like, I'm frustrated by what I perceive is the level of effort I'm putting into this. Like, where do you guide people in that situation? The butterfly analogy is a good one because I don't know if you've ever caught a butterfly, but I've never caught a butterfly by letting it just land in my hands either. <laughs> you know, but we we put these narratives around. I think it's exactly what you said, Dedeker, that it's it's to address that feeling of frustration and to allow people the space to be like, it's okay. It's okay. It hasn't happened for you yet, but it still can happen. And while I say this book is hopeful, it's not hopeful just like wish, pray, hope. It's hopeful in that I want to give people their power back. I want to give people their agency and their voice and their autonomy and their choice. And we have so much more choice. We've talked about this before when you are on Dates and Mates. Like we have choice now about how we even want to show up in relationships, how we want to form our relationships, who we want to allow into our circle, how we find that person in a way that my parents didn't have as much choice and certainly my grandparents didn't have that much choice. And we have very short memories. It mm. hasn't been that long that we've had this much freedom and agency in relationships. And so I don't want to just throw up my hands and be like, it'll just happen. When I know that 
it happens a lot faster. And a lot of times it's much more fulfilling if you go about it from a more mindful place. Well, so I feel like before we can get to mindfulness, there's these myths. There's like the bullshit that we need to cut out. So what are what are the four major myths? Can you can you give us just the Cliff Notes version of these myths that you think kind of hold us back? Yeah. So I do identify four major myths in the book. When I first wrote the book, it was going to be the modern love myth. And I had like 15 myths and my publisher was like, let's narrow it down a little bit. So <laughs> 15 to I, four is a pretty impressive narrowing good, down. Yeah. Good job. Thank good you. job. Thank you. You know, and I think people reading it will identify some of their own myths, too. But the four biggest ones that I see stopping people from having the relationships they want are the list myth. This is we're checking boxes and we're looking for somebody based on it's a lot of times not even our list. It's like a list that somebody else gave us. And we're like, yeah, going to the grocery store for them. We're like, right. Oh, they said get eggs and butter. And <laughs> I, I don't even know what it's for, but that's what I was told to get. Uh, so the list myth is the first one. And then the chemistry myth, there's the soulmate myth. And then there's also the rules myth. And so the chemistry myth is just this idea that it's going to be butterflies, that and that butterflies are even good, that it's supposed to feel a certain way. I don't like that. I I think there's so much more room for how it can feel when we don't have the clarity on how we want it to feel. We'll just chase anything. You know, it's it'll just be that the spark and the instant attraction. And then you're like, wait, why is this not sustaining? So that is a big one. The rules myth really sort of started when we started trying to game dating and, you know, play all of these, like the books, like the rules and the books, like the game that we're like, follow this, these steps and you will get what you want, whether it's a hookup, whether it's relationship, you will get it. It's in the rules. It was get the ring. That was the only goal. That was the only the only end point. And I, first of all, don't think that that's the end point right now. And I also feel like things are so dynamic in dating and relationships, especially today, that I I really can't give you a formula for finding love, but I can give you the tools that I have seen consistently lead to love. And I would rather have the tools than the rules. And the soulmate myth, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this because I do see it keeping a lot of people single. This idea that that there's someone destined that is predestined for you and that your job is to find your other half. I mean, obviously, that doesn't fit for non-monogamy. That doesn't fit for a lot of people's relationships. So I don't like the soulmate myth. I don't like this idea of the one And, you know, I'm in a I've been with my husband for 20 years and I'm in a monogamous relationship and I still don't believe in the one. I think you make whoever you choose to make the ones or the one at that time. I like that take on it. I I think about this a lot, actually, because there's like a functional side to how I think about soulmates, which is which is very much that. Right. I'm like, I don't think there's any kind of magical predestined one out there for you that you have to find at all costs. Sometimes I like to think about it the same way that maybe as an adult, I'd like to think about Santa Claus. 
in a sense where it's like, ooh, it's kind of fun to think about like, oh my goodness, like I was meant to be with this person and then like it's cosmic and it's so romantic and, and wow, how amazing we found each other. But I don't believe that that's the foundation of our relationship. And I, as a non-monogamous person, I'll also indulge in that with multiple people where I was like, oh my God, I was meant to be with these two people. Wow, that's so magical. That's so great. But but that's not, I don't know, whenever I'm dating, that's not necessarily the thing that I'm looking for. So I guess it's kind of like, like I like to play with the magic, but not necessarily use it as this is my guiding light. Mm. What do you think, Jace? No, that's fun. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I approach kind of in a similar way of I think these these concepts can be helpful. I actually don't think the soulmate one is particularly helpful. But, you know, we, we talk about on the show where we'll look at, you know, research or science and things like that. And we always give the caveat of this is always looking at averages. There's bias that comes into it. It can't really tell us the whole picture, but it's really useful. And then on the other side, we have these very woo-woo, you know, positive thinking and like, oh, the energy you're putting out into the world and whatever, which I, I also think is useful, but I also think it's nonsense at the same time, right? And so it's like, I don't want to put too much stock into it, but that doesn't mean it's still not useful or helpful to think about if it's useful or helpful. And so I think to come back to the soulmate myth, this is one that I think really indulging in how happy you are in your relationship, if you're in one that makes you happy, great. I just have never seen a positive outcome from the soulmate myth ever. I've mm. seen either what you talked about, Demona, which is keeping people single, thinking that there's someone who's going to be more fairy tale perfect. And so that keeps them that way. Or it causes people to rush into getting married or having children or moving in together with someone because it feels like they think the fairy tale is. And they go, ah, oh, well, if soulmates are true and they feel like this, this feels like that. Therefore, I can make all of these very serious, very legally binding commitments with this person, even if it's just a cell phone plan or adopting a puppy that, you know, I, I can jump into those too soon. So I see negative mm. on both sides of this one. Yeah, I agree with you. And I would also add, it keeps people single because it keeps people from not even wanting to engage because they're like, well, the ma the magical thing hasn't happened. So I don't know what it's supposed to feel like, but is this it? And it and this idea of like, I'm searching for this perfect person then sometimes keeps you from seeing what's right in front of you. And then any issue that arises, you're like, oh, must they must not be my soulmate then. If we have conflict, then it's not, it's not meant to be. And I actually feel like in relationships, the, the conflict is the opportunity. It's the opportunity for self-growth. It's the opportunity for getting to know that other person better. And, you know, we talked about this on Dates and Mates when we, around your book it, to clarify communication. It's all an opportunity. It's how you look at it. And sometimes it doesn't end the way that you hope it will end. And sometimes it doesn't lead where you imagine it will lead. But, you know, I think we you don't always get what you want. You get what you need, you know, mm -hmm. and if you can flip your perspective, you can find you can find deeper meaning in in any dating or relationship interaction. I say that caveat asterisk, this does not apply 
for relationships that have abuse or obviously right. that is yeah. I just have to say it because if I don't say it, people will be like, but what if? OK, yeah, I, I, but I mean, like any any other type of relationship, I think there's learning to be had and growth to be explored. That's always a challenging balance to find. And I think it's something that comes up a lot on this show is on the one hand, being too picky and at the first sign of conflict or discomfort, oh, well, that's not the one because it's not the fairy tale, they're gone. Or on the other hand is this, well, but I felt like this one has a good shot and I'm scared of being alone and I don't think I'm going to find anyone else. So I'm going to stay in this relationship and just kind of say, well, I guess it's better than nothing when it's like, no, actually, there's a lot of things better than that. And like that, it's like hard to find how to guide people on that balance because it's not just something you can objectively look at and go, oh, if this is going on, it's bad. If this is going on, it's good because that might be different for different people. And I'm not even talking about abusive situations, but just two perfectly fine people who just are not a good fit, don't have values that line up just right. It's not it's not there. Yeah, well, you're kind of hitting on the pillars, which is the antidote to the myths. And values are really key. That is one of the primary filters that people should put in place before they they invest in a relationship. Because values don't change all that much. Goals sometimes change, but I say goals and values are really the two drivers of long-term compatibility. But largely, people stay the same. And we try to make it fit because maybe we're trying to catch a butterfly or trying to feel some magic. And look, I love magic as much as the next person. I actually really love magic and I love the wonder and I love the discovery. And I feel like I have that. But some of it I have to create. And I like that better than even what I've seen in the rom-coms and the fairy tales. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you expound on that? Can you give some examples? Because, yeah, we've talked a lot about values on the show. And I think finding out what your values are is so important for your life in general, not just for dating. But but I find sometimes people get a little confused and a little lost, you know, like me valuing dating someone who's six foot five. Is that a value (laughs) or is that something that's on a list or or, you know, like, are we talking about political values. Like, I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, how can people get in touch with that? And can you share some examples of, I guess, how you look for values in another person or look for matching values in another person? Yeah. Well, you did hit on some values and then some some lists. And the funny thing with the list is that people will always say that, well, they've got their list and their list is the exact same list as the next person that comes to me for help, you know, it's interesting. Like, must be this tall, must make this much money, must have this color hair, must drive this car, like whatever it is. It's so similar. And the values really are completely unique and individual to you. And we look for shortcuts. We look for, you know, religion is a proxy for, we, we think, for sim- similarity in values. When, you know, we all know someone could be of the same faith and live their life completely differently and have completely different values. Or 
we look at politics, I give an example in F the Fairy Tale about a couple that I matched for a Washington Post date lab date. Like on that column, I, we have a database and and we set them up and then we do kind of a, a play-by-play of what happened on the date after, you know, we interview them after. And these folks were both identified as liberals and working in D.C. The <laughs> political affiliation takes on a whole different meaning. But they both identified themselves as liberals. And after the date, the woman told me that she sent a text and asked the guy what he thought of Andrew Yang being a NYC mayoral candidate. And I don't know exactly what was in the text, but whatever he said, it was the wrong thing. And <laughs> and I just thought, OK, first of all, we already established that you're both liberals and you also cannot vote in that hypothetical election that is taking place in another city. But to her, it had so many different levels of meaning that she was trying to, and it all happened over text, which we've talked about, like the challenges of digital communication. Yeah. Like that is not the conversation to have over text. And that's not really the filter. So I would want to get, if I were coaching them and not just writing about the date, I'd want to get underneath that of why is this important to you? And what are you trying to figure out by asking the question about Andrew Yang? Like, what does that mean to you? And then what meaning are you extrapolating from his answer? And we we try to get down to the root of values are really how you look at the world and the way that you live your life. And that cannot be distilled into a label. It can't be identified based on a particular candidate that you cannot vote for. It's it's not as simple as that. And it's really a process. That's why I always do begin with mindset, because I find that most people do not have that clarity on what their values are. And they are dating by lists, thinking that they're dating by value. Well, I think this comes up with the clients that I work with because, you know, I work with a lot of non-monogamous clients. And so often it becomes about what's the perfect way that I can, what's the perfect label I can put on my particular type of non-monogamy so that I can put that on a dating profile and I can match with people who put that same label on their dating profile. And and I do think that falls into the same problems as the, oh, we both identify as liberals, therefore it's going to be an automatic match, you know, that there does have to be more of this deep dive process into like, well, what does this label mean to you? And if this other, other person doesn't use that label, what does that mean to you? And like, Really, what are the actual questions you should be asking of somebody outside of just what label do you use for like your type of relationship practice? Yeah, we're we're a little too addicted to labels, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we're always searching for I, I think it's it's that need to sort of explain ourselves and we're looking for shortcuts. We're looking for hacks. And so much of the time, too, the label that we think doesn't actually even send out the message that we're trying to send out. You know, it's like, and this is why I started originally as a dating profile writer, you know, and I would, somebody would say to me, well, I don't like online dating or online dating doesn't work. And I'd ask them to tell me what they were looking for. And then I'd look at their dating profile and I'm like, you're not saying at all what you think you're saying. Like my very first client wanted to get married, wanted to have kids. He was like, I think in his early forties and was like, I'm ready to settle down, you know do whatever I saw in rom-coms and fairy tales. <laughs> and I looked at his profile and I I was like, why you have photos of yourself with kids and you don't have kids already. So why do you have this? 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. he was like, well, you know, I thought it made me look like dadly. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it like sent a message that I was looking for someone to have a family with. And I said, that's not at all what it says. It says I already have a kid mm-hmm. and and that's a whole conversation. And if you're interested in me, you're also interested in my kid. And it's not even your kid. So there's all of these little labels or little cues that we'll put out there with one intention. And sometimes it does take someone like you or I or just an outside person to say, I don't think that's what you're trying to say. It's, you know, it's funny how much that comes up because just this morning I was looking at a kind of, I guess, an acquaintance of mine posting on LinkedIn about looking for a job because uh, there were a lot of layoffs in the entertainment industry recently because of the actor's strike and the writer's strike. And so people are now looking for jobs again. But reading his post, I kind of wanted to reach out and I felt like this would be super inappropriate, but wanted to reach out and say, here's how your post is coming across. I don't think that's how you mean for it to come across. Like it just came across as either complainy or desperate or something when I'm like, I know this person and I know that's not what you're going for and that's not what you're like, but it can be easy to just end up communicating something that we don't think we are. Oh, and that's a whole other challenge in when we layer in social media Mm. and how we're speaking to different audiences, right? In different places and sliding into the DMs is steadily growing as another way to meet people, you know, legitimately. Legitimately, I was just at a matchmaking conference and I found out there's a bunch of matchmakers that are using LinkedIn. I, I literally huh. did not even know. Wow. wow. LinkedIn Clever. is, yeah, is where- I have not done that, so. <laughs> you're sourcing, yeah. Well, hey, maybe this person can't get a job, but maybe they could get a date. You're right, right. possibly. <laughs> Probably not with the complaining and all that. But, uh. but yeah, when you really consider what you're putting out into the world- And you think about it, not from the perspective of like, this is what I have to say, but this is what I'm trying to convey. This is what I want to attract. And what is that person looking for? What would that, what would catch that person's attention? It totally flips the experience because most people date as if they are the protagonist in their love story, which they have been, but there's something interesting that happens when you say, okay, Take take the third person here, like take a different point of view and look at it from the perspective of whoever is looking at you instead of from your own vantage point. And then you can see things that were not clear. I don't know how that will help your friend and their, sure. <laughs> and their <laughs> post problem, but if you could say that to them, it might give them a different angle on the post. And having an outside set of eyes can really help too, whether that's someone in a professional capacity or that's just having friends who you trust who it's kind of this weird thing of like, you want a friend that you trust, but that maybe doesn't know you so well that they'll end up writing the same stuff you would, (laughs) you know, like, like they have to be different enough from you maybe. Well, you don't want to have that negative Nancy friend that's like, (laughs) well, that too, you know, they're, they've been burned so many times and they're like, you, why do you even... (laughs) <laughs> and I, I had that too. Like, you know, people that I was dating that my friends were like, why are you with that person? Like somebody said to me, don't, don't yuck somebody else's yum. And I mm-hmm. like, yep. you know, in, um, in dating, sometimes 
I got my my yum yucked. And then I was like, well, wait, why do I want to date this person? And that's another thing Mm. that shifted so much with social media and online dating. Dating has become a lot more public. Yes. Mm, Yes. We didn't remember. We didn't used to tell people, oh, you know, I have a first date with this person. I'm going out with this person a second time. I mean, I'm even dating this person. Like it was a big thing for me to be debuted at my Mm -hmm, husband's mm -hmm. birthday party when we had been dating, I think maybe five weeks or something like that was a thing for me to meet his friends. And now I just feel like everybody's sort of dating by, by committee. So you have to be (laughs) careful, right? You have to be careful about the inputs that you're letting in and whether they have the same values, goals, and your best interests at heart. So I, I'm, you know, I have this particularly, I, I keep wanting to go back to the myths because I, because I keep looking at them and I'm, and I'm realizing something that it seems like they all have in common is this is a way that we feel like we're going to get back control and safety in the dating process, right? So if I have a rigid list of qualities that gives me a sense of control, if I feel like I can lean on a formula, a set of rules that gives me a sense of safety. If I feel like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to chase chemistry so that I'll I'll know it, you know, when I feel it. And that's going to be my cue that gives me a sense of safety. And then the soulmate thing also, oh, maybe it's predestined. So it's okay. I don't need to think about it too much. And I imagine that letting go of some of these things is really scary for a lot of people. So I'm curious about when you're working as a coach, it's like, how do you disabuse people of some of these things? Or or do you find that there's particular things that people have a much harder time letting go of than other things? Mm, that's a really good question and a very astute observation. Mm. I'm like, I hadn't thought of it as related to control, but I did write the book with the intention of giving back more control. More like to, actual control, it sounds like. Actual control. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not interested in pointing fingers at anybody, telling every anyone that you're wrong, your dating life is wrong, you've been doing it wrong. I'm just interested in getting to the truth. And that's what I see that we're also a little bit afraid of. That's why we're seeing so much ghosting. That's why we're seeing people staying in relationships that are not right, because we all have this fear this fear, if I let this person go, who else is going to, is there somebody else that's going to come in? Or this feeling that if I open up and I really share what's in my heart and what I want, whether that's even I want non-monogamy or I want a commitment, I want marriage, like whatever it is, we get so afraid of the truth, of the outcome that we stuff down what we actually want to say. And that's only hurting us. We we have to be willing to take a risk. We have to be willing to express what we want if we're going to get our needs met. Yeah, I I think that so much of the pain and suffering I tend to see people go through, particularly in the dating process, there's, there's tons of pain and suffering that goes through in other steps of the relationship. But particularly in the dating process, so much of it does seem related to someone feeling, I don't know, shame about some particular thing that they want or something that they're looking for, something that they're hoping that their partner will give them. And they feel like they can't say it because it's too shameful or too vulnerable. And so then we end up in these weird dances, you know, whether it is like, 
I have to ghost because I don't know how to say to this person, I'm not that interested. Sorry. You know, thank you for the time we spent. Or I need to keep that at arm's length because I haven't gotten the cues that I thought that I would get that would let me know it's going to be safe for me to say, yes, actually, I'm interested in a commitment that like, yeah, I, I think that that's really apt that there is something about the truth about ourselves and that and what we want that feels just like too scary to actually put out to put out there for somebody. Yeah, I think you're right. There is there's definitely some shame underneath that. And yeah, even I talk in the book about single shame, like mm-hmm. people that understandably in the society that we live in don't even want to say I'm single and say I'm single and looking, I'm single and I'm not looking. <laughs> you know, I we we don't we feel like if we define it then I don't know. It, it's like takes us back to being on the playground and somebody pointing at us and being like, that person's out. Mm-hmm. I know because I'm terrible mm-hmm. at sports. And I was the <laughs> last one picked every time on literally didn't matter what sport it was. I was the last one that was going to oh. be picked. Oh, I have terrible. that same I have that same baggage around sports. Always really? last to be picked. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so, you know, I talk about how. I really was very cynical about love for a long time. I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't see myself finding a relationship. I, I didn't, I didn't even know if I wanted what I have now. Now I know I did, but that fear of rejection keeps us playing small. And I had to really step into more of myself, my own authenticity, my own truth to be able to attract the best relationship for me. So maybe this is related to the topic at hand, but in your book, you talk about dating samskaras. And what is a dating samskara? And how many sun salutations do we have to do to release these samskaras? 108. Okay, great. (laughs) Oh, that's an auspicious number. That's an auspicious number. Good. (laughs) You know. Um, Yeah, I, I borrow in the book from a lot of different methodologies that I have used to help me grow into the person that I am and the person that I'm becoming. And yoga is one of those methodologies and philosophies. And we have always talked in yoga about samskaras are patterns. Um, They were described to me by my teachers as you think of it as like a groove, like a well-worn scar that you go over and over and over again. So the more that you say a phrase, the more that you have a belief, the more that you will act in a certain way, and the more that you put that in your body. And there, these samskaras, we tend to think of them as all negative, but you can actually shift your samskaras. So if you even just think of a routine that you have, like getting up and working out in the morning, that could be a form of a samskara. And if you don't have that routine in your life, replacing sleeping in and playing with your dog in the morning instead of getting up and going for a run, you can shift your whole experience by changing that negative, that that negative behavior or that behavior that isn't serving what you ultimately want with a more positive one. So I apply that to dating because I see a lot of people having dating patterns that they haven't been able to look at yet or they haven't been able to change, having dating beliefs, phrases that they've repeated again and again and again. And I find that when we start to 
go after a different narrative. And we catch ourselves, we catch how often we are playing out that old narrative and we replace it with the new narrative that that orders our actions in a different way. We're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can help us keep this show going. We love being able to put this out there into the world every week for free for anyone with a podcast machine. They can just listen to this, get these resources wherever they are. And the way that we do that is through our advertising and also through people who support our show directly by going to multiamory.com slash join. So if you appreciate the show, just take a moment, check out our advertisers. If any seem interesting to you, go check them out. That really does directly support our show and help us to keep doing this. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So I imagine some examples of this that probably come up a lot from frustrated people would be things like, there's just no one out there for me. I keep running into failure. Or I think, you know, right now, heteropessimism is just rampant. And so it's like all men are trash. Or just dating over the age of whatever age is just impossible. Like, are those the kind of things that you find that you run into when you're working with people? Yeah, I've heard all of those things that you mentioned and more. I have proven them not to be true if you don't believe them to be true. I even talk in the book, too, about race. And there's so many beliefs about race. And, you know, I'm speaking as a as a multi multiracial person. There's a lot of beliefs that we hold because of our lived experience, because of the society that we live in. And then sometimes we make assumptions that other people hold those same beliefs. And I think the magic, I think the discovery 
is in figuring out what beliefs other people actually do hold. And sometimes they're not the big bad story that we're telling ourselves. I think that's that's great. It also reminds me of something that it's been a while since we've talked about it on the show, but this idea of holding a little less tightly to the things that we believe ourselves too. And it's interesting to think of it in that way of also hold less tightly to the idea that everyone believes this thing, because that's a real trap people can fall into on all different sides, whether it's assuming everyone else thinks these negative things or it's assuming everyone else thinks this one particular thing is easy and good. And and then it's actually not true for some other people. And you can be a real jerk if you go out with that assumption. So that's such a really an interesting thing to think about both for others and for ourselves of holding a little less tightly to some of those beliefs. Oh, that is a really interesting perspective. And I I love that discovery of what are the beliefs and and allowing those beliefs to evolve. And especially because of social media and just media in general, the way that we have all kind of been siloed into our own belief systems and then had the same beliefs repeated to us. It's so interesting seeing people not have independent thought. And you're like, I literally, like I saw that TikTok video. You're literally just repeating that TikTok video and you think that that's your your own opinion, but it's not even. And there's 10 other people that made that same video. It's kind of spooky, really. Mm. And I feel like this is not necessarily related to dating. I, I think in general, we could all back off from our own corners a little bit and get a lot further by looking for there's we just are all more alike than we are different. And if we can look for the commonalities instead of being like, oh, you're different. That's a red flag. This is, you know, and, pu- and we push so much away because we haven't done that process of like being willing to just examine our own beliefs. Actually, that's one thing I really love about my husband. He is really great at holding multiple points of view. And even if some he doesn't ag- agree with someone, he's an excellent listener. And that's one of the things I just love in our relationship. I love talking to him about complex issues because he always helps me see a perspective that I didn't know. Even if I come in at a 10, I'm a Sagittarius. I'm always coming in at <laughs> black Jewish woman. <laughs> I'm coming in at a 10 and he's like, well, but I love that. And I know not everyone loves that discovery, but I think there's, I've experienced that there's, there's, that's real, where relationships get really interesting. That ability for your husband to hold multiple points of view at once, I would imagine that that's really helpful with conflict also, because I do think that so much of that is is being able to hold, okay, I have my particular perspective on this, and then my partner also has a particular perspective on this. And even if those are not the same, I can still accept that both of those exist at once. Yeah, that it's it's a tremendous benefit. And I will say his mom's a social worker. He did therapy from a young age. And I feel like all of those tools that he got really helped him to be a better partner. And it's not too late if you don't have those tools. You know, I think anyone can can acquire those tools if they're willing to go through that experience. But yeah, it's very helpful in conflict. And also to just take a 
position of listening to, like listening to understand and not always trying to solve, but just be willing to come to the table and listen to another point of view. And usually he's right. Usually he's right. I'm the one that has to go. But it's it's a practice. It's a daily practice for him. Like he even, he subscribes to all these sub stacks from completely different points of view. I'm like, why, why are you following that person? Because he wants to gain the knowledge and the information about another person's perspective. And I mentioned this just to say that it's it's it doesn't just happen. It is something that you have to work at and practice. Maybe you don't want to subscribe to a bunch of random Substack, but <laughs> you're subscribing to podcasts. I mean, might as well might as well just add a few more to the mix. But you get the chance in each of these dating interactions to practice listening, to practice understanding another person's point of view, and especially if you're coming to meet a stranger, you don't know any of this yet. We like to try to go through the dating apps and shortcut it and say like, well, I, I, I saw which emojis were on their profile and therefore I know them. You know, we want to mm-hmm. shortcut it. And I know why we, I know we want to shortcut it because it does take a lot of time and effort to go through this swiping process. Like whoever told you that swiping was easy, totally I'm so, not. I'm sorry. Yeah. They I feel like only lied. the swiping apps have ever suggested <laughs> that this is going to make it easy. And and now that I say that out loud, I'm like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. They would be the ones suggesting that. I don't think anybody else has ever like really felt that. Well, I think apps changed because people wanted easy. They wanted yeah. ease of use. So w- when my husband and I met online, it was a dating site. It wasn't an app. Same for and, us. Yeah. Right? For us, yeah. I remember talking about that. There was so much more information. And the process of trying to figure out who I was going out with was a lot easier than you when you have one paragraph on them, a few emojis, and a you know, a handful of pictures, and you're sitting there in the DMs all day trying to figure out is this somebody that I want to invest my time in? And you're doing that with 10 other people, it is exhausting. And so we wanted the ease of use. Oh, it's so easy. You can create a profile, just, you know, pick a couple pictures from your phone and you're on. Like the barrier for entry used to be really high for online dating. Now it's super low. There's no gatekeepers. It's free now. You know, we used to have to pay for it. (laughs) It's free. People get mad when they have to pay for a a feature. (laughs) And I'm like, do you, this is free. Do you think this is free? You will get what you pay for. So, yeah, if you want to do it for free, you may have a less satisfying experience. You may have to do more of the sorting. If you want to shortcut some of those things, pay for the Bumblebee line or, you know, get OkCupid Premium or whatever app you're on, like, use the shortcuts. Otherwise, back of the line, (laughs) you're out here swiping and in the DMs with everybody else, you know? (laughs) Okay, so speaking of shortcuts, in the book, you talk about this concept of slow love, you know, so kind of like the slow food movement was this response to the fast food movement, like, you know, really taking your time to get to know someone during the early phases of dating. So we on this show talk a lot about NRE, you know, new relationship energy, the super exciting, the rush, the thrill, the the chemical cocktail in your brain. We've had a lot of listeners write into us asking, like, how do I 
manage this? When do I listen to those feelings? Or when do I need to be cautious? Like, when are those feelings dulling my ability to actually tell what kind of person somebody is? And so I guess I'm wondering, like, how do you recommend that people do pump the brakes and decide to go slowly when they're feeling that rush? And, and how, you know, how do people do that in a way that doesn't feel like they're arbitrarily holding themselves back? And I have to acknowledge, I didn't come up with slow love, but it is something that for over a decade I have talked to my clients about. Really, Dr. Helen Fisher gets the credit for a lot of things in our industry, but she really popularized that. And I just learned that just today, I was today years old when I figured out that slow food movement was a response to fast food. <laughs> I just didn't even know that. So that's really smart. I I have grown here today doing this podcast. But first of all, I tell my clients to space out their interactions in the early phase because we can get caught up in momentum. And we, we know like part of that NRE, as you said. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got it. Part, yeah. Thank you. Part of that NRE is our our own neurotransmitters It's our hormones firing. And when you're in proximity to somebody else, they're firing even more. And so the more time you're spending with this person, the more you want to be with this person, the more you're getting those endorphins pumped through your body. And the more that you think, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. We just we just got to push it through. And I want to see them tomorrow. And I want to see them the next day. And I want to see them the next day. And you don't have that space in between when you come down off of that high and you're in you're in withdrawal and you're, you're like, wait, do I even want another hit of this? Do I even like how I feel right now? Am I thinking about this person still? What am I thinking about this person? When I replay the conversations that we've had, wait, does this person align with my goals and values? Am I making am I making this fit when it doesn't actually align. I see that a lot. Like we start to compromise when we're in that spiral of that NRE. We were like, well, actually, you know what? That wasn't that important to me. Like I put that down. I told Demona that I was really, I, I, <laughs> I really needed somebody that shared my faith. But you know what? Actually, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and then we just compromise on whatever we thought was actually important to make it fit. And we need that space. We need that space to really figure out where where we're at so we can figure out where the connection is at. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that you phrased it that way, that sometimes we can be making something fit that doesn't actually fit. And I think especially if you felt frustrated for a long time, if you felt lonely, for a long time, you know, the best metaphor that was ever explained to me, and I think Cassie Brighter was the one that I got this from, was like the grocery store metaphor. It's it's like if you're coming to dating and like like going to the grocery store hungry sometimes where you're just like, oh my God, I just, I'm so tired of feeling this way. And so I'm going to buy, you know, capers and way more vegetables than I can ever cook and like all the stuff that I can't even afford because I really need to fulfill this. And it's like, I'm kind of trying to make this fit my nutritional needs when it doesn't actually fit. And I think the same thing happens where, yeah, you can feel so frustrated of feeling a particular way that then the first person who comes along that makes you feel a different way, it is like that. Okay, whatever. My values don't matter. My my The things that I thought that I was looking for in a relationship don't matter. I'm just going to make this fit. And then 
Unfortunately, I, I think what I see in people is that kind of the neurotransmitter effect lasts sometimes for a while, sometimes like six months up to a year and a half. And then sometimes people end up a year and a half in realizing, oh, actually, this wasn't a fit for my values, but now I'm a year and a half into this. Yeah. And part of that is the discovery too. Like we need to get rid of this idea of like, oh, we got to know right away. Don't want to waste my time. It's uh, mm. uh, one month in and out. And look at the value you can get out of a year and a half relationship that didn't work. Now you know more. You know more about yourself. You know more about what you're looking for. You maybe got to practice some of these communication skills and listening and understanding and and building new samskaras. And <laughs> not everybody's going to be right for you. And that's okay. That's okay, too. But I, I, I feel like that's where the shame comes back up, right? Like, oh, well, now I have to go and tell everybody that I'm single again. And I have to scrub this person from my social media or I'm going to have to explain it away or... You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it comes with, we lay, we lay other baggage on top of it that really isn't even our baggage. Like it's more about what are other people going to think? I do also hear, oh, well, now I have to go back and start all over. Like I just had a client that was telling me she ended a relationship after five and a half months because she wasn't, they weren't aligned on goals. She was looking for a commitment and he was, not sure, not looking for a commitment when they met, but was like, maybe I could be convinced. Let's go along for this ride. And he, she was feeling really discouraged that she had to, quote, start over. And she also felt like she really didn't know that she would find that again. She was like, I just hadn't felt like that in so long. Meanwhile, yeah, like, I've been working with this person for a little while and I was like, what do you mean you haven't felt like that in so long? Because like last year, I swear we had the same conversation about somebody else and you were telling me you hadn't felt like that in so long. So our memories are really short too. And what I said to her is, well, what you know now is that it's possible. If you had this feeling now, you know that it's possible. There's no reason to just hold on to this because it's like a burden hand if it's not right. But, you know, if you felt those feelings that, you know, I think it, like I'd worry more if you're like, well, I've just never met anybody that I've even been attracted to. Then I'm kind of like, that's when I get in and really kind of poke. <laughs> Actually, that that brought up something for me. So thinking about the kind of bad habits or bad beliefs that the romantic comedies give us. And one of them is that idea of the one who got away which is tied into the whole soulmate thing. And it's that fear that, oh, if if this didn't work out, if I somehow failed this relationship or didn't make it succeed, that my only hope is to go back and get that one or I end up sad forever. Whereas the reality, like you were talking about, is being in relationships is a skill and dating's a skill. And the more you're learning about yourself and the more you're learning how to do that, in a healthy way and communicate more genuinely and meet people where they are, it actually means you're going to have more opportunities to do it better the next time. But I think that myth that oh, if you, if you miss the one that was the right one, cause you didn't realize it, that was it. Oh yeah. That is definitely under the soulmate myth. And yeah. And so much of it is timing too. Like I was saying, mm. I, my husband and I don't think we don't believe in, the one neither of us do we were 
in a place when we met where we were on the same trajectory. We had the same goals. We had similar values, similar enough values. We worked on our clear communication. And over time, we built trust. And that's why I put the the fourth pillar is the trust because that one really does take time to build. It's the one that takes the longest and it's the one that is the hardest to repair if it's broken. And that's what we needed at that time. But I feel like, I feel that magic you were talking about earlier, Dedeker, when you were saying like that, that feeling of like, how did we find each other? I was just saying that to him like the other day. I just, I can't believe we found each other, but that's because so many things had to align for this moment to happen. There might be, there's probably another one out there. <laughs> I'm just like, thank God I got, I got him. I locked him down bef- before anybody else got him because he was a catch. Right. <laughs> I got at least a good one, you know, it, maybe it's not like the one. Right, right. And yeah. I think the other thing that that does when you're in relationship is it also empowers you in the current relationship, whether you've been together as long as you all have, or you've been married for, I haven't been married 20 years, but I've been with my husband 20 years. I know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. I have made the commitment, I intend to be in this relationship for the rest of my life. But I also know sometimes unexpected things happen. And you have to be okay. This is where we see when people have the soulmate myth and they're like, this was my person. And then something happens. They're like, I can't go on. I can't go on with my life. And they think that that is the end because the relationship has ended for whatever reason. And that to me also then just just strips your your joy and strips your power and doesn't bring you to the table in a relationship whole. Speaking of rom-coms, you know, you complete me. (laughs) Uh No, no. You come to the table a whole human with your own beliefs and with your, with your own stuff going on. You are fully formed. And I too am a whole human. And together we amplify one another, but nobody's, nobody's missing, anybody's missing peace, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. That's so important to reiterate that to people. That, yeah, that even in those like really profound, this is the the person I love more than anyone else in the world. Also, I would be okay and still a full human without them. Sure, I'd be super bummed if that were to happen, but I'm a whole person and they're a whole person. And that I think is just like, when you say that to people, it sounds like you're speaking nonsense sometimes. They're like, what do you, how can you love them then? Or what do you mean by like, it's, it like doesn't compute because that's so ingrained in us. Yeah. And there's just a lot of codependence in our society too. And I I want to have a better word for a healthier way of interacting where you amplify one another, you buoy one another, you support one another, but you're not doing everything for the other person. You're not lost without the other person. We get a lot of people who ask us things like, you know, how do you feel about doing something like listing your SDI status on a dating profile? Do you have Mm -hmm. any takes on that? I have a lot of takes. (laughs) (laughs) There's certainly a stigma around STIs that I feel like 
again, a lot of people don't even really understand. Like, they look at the label and they're like, oh, well, I can't date this person. Like, I just had someone write in about STI status on dates and maids. They were like, I really liked this person. They revealed to me on like the first or second date that they are HSV positive, that they have herpes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they were like, so I guess I can't date them. And I was like, what? Like, first of all, get your get your facts about even what that means. Understand what the risks are for transmission because you're thinking it's like this big thing. And even like I've worked a little bit with Gilead HIV division and the the amount of advancements that have been made in treatment and prevention in the last just like the last decade is unbelievable. And what you you should everyone and I'm sure your listeners are very smart. So I'm sure everyone here like already knows their STI status. I'm sure everybody's on prep. <laughs> and that's that. And as we should be, because we have all of these, we have all of these tools now available to help us. But there's there's a whole education process that I think people need to go through, not people who have a an STI diagnosis, but people who are dating someone that may reveal that we can't keep just pushing it away. And I don't have the stats in front of me. Maybe you know, but like, isn't it like 40% of people? Like, it's a have, huge it's, number. Yeah. It's a huge number that either have HS, depends on if you're looking at HSV1 or HSV2, but it's a huge percentage. We and all most, have HSV1. Like, and, like all of us. Yeah. Like everyone. And most transmission like happens because someone hasn't gotten tested or hasn't asked to be tested and they don't even know, right? Like, yeah. And yeah. I would bet you, Every single STI test you've ever had in your entire life did not test for HSV-1 or 2 unless you specifically asked them for that one. You know, I heard something very interesting about The Golden Bachelor uh, this Uh, week. (laughs) He said that going on the show, because having worked in reality TV forever, Mm -hmm. there's this whole process. People have to go through a psych evaluation and they have to go through like a health Health screening, especially for dating shows. You have to do your STI test. And he said that was the first STI test he had ever had. Oh, no. Wow. Man, he he didn't reveal what the results were, (laughs) but it made me, it reminded me of stats that I've read. I know you all like the, like the data Mm -hmm. about how STIs are really growing among 50 plus Mm -hmm. individuals because a lot of folks had the stigma around getting tested have never been tested, thought they didn't have to get tested. And now because of dating apps, we have so much more opportunity for people 50 plus to date. And thank you, Golden Bachelor, for bringing it into the mainstream too. And there's so many people out there that don't even know their status, but would see it on a dating profile and be like, oh no, well, Mm. I just can't. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you got to know your own status first before you Mm -hmm. start throwing daggers here. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the question, the simple answer to the question is no, I wouldn't put it on your profile because people don't really understand what that means. So Mm -hmm. when you are putting it on your profile, you have no chance to contextualize it. 
or to educate people. And a lot of people have misconceptions about what an STI status even really means and, you know, how how to treat or how to prevent an STI and would just push it away without yeah. even doing the research. Now, it's certainly something you should bring up in conversation, but we are in such a rapid dating society. We were talking about slow dating and slow love. The apps, it's all speed. It's all speed and ease of use. And people will spend less than three seconds figuring out if they want to spend more time with your profile, if they want to swipe left. And anything that gives them a reason to immediately swipe left, I think does not belong in your dating profile right away. It's it's so interesting because there's a lot of other approaches out there that go hard the other direction. It's like you want all the people that have XYZ deal breaker to just swipe left so you don't even have to waste your time with them. So that is, it's such a, it's such a tricky but thing. But I agree, I agree with what you're saying though when it comes specifically to SDI status. We could get in the weeds about any other thing you feel like you need to disclose on a dating profile. But like, I do agree that because there is so much stigma, so much knee-jerk judgment that, I mean, honestly, the first time that I dated someone who was HSV positive, I mean, that wasn't on his dating profile. We had a conversation. And I think at that time in my life, this was many years ago when I also wasn't as educated about all this stuff. If we couldn't have had a conversation, I may have been one of those people who was just like, nope, not interested. Right. And right, so, yes, yeah. I agree because you need to have context both about you know, this is how long that this has been my status. This is how I manage it. This is how it manifests for me. This is how I have safer sex, you know, and these are the resources that I really like if you don't know very much about it, right? So I, I think I agree on this point that, that yeah, that giving yourself as many opportunities to be able to contextualize it because unfortunately, the state of sex education for most people in this country yeah. is pretty abominable. Plus the stigma that, yeah, I think any opportunity you can have to actually have a real-time, more human conversation about it instead of a snap judgment, I think is a good thing. Yeah. And I I definitely hear your point, Jace, about there is a... I, I'm with the philosophy that if somebody is not in alignment with you and they, they know it from your profile, then great. You just saved yourself. <laughs> you saved yourself a lot of time and heartache. But at the same time, I think there are certain things where... If you put them on your profile, like I would say also having kids is another thing. Like I will tell my, and look, I'm a mom. I, I, I love kids, but I don't think your kids really should be on your dating profile. Even if your entire life revolves around them right now, that's very nice. No one's dating your kids. <laughs> you know, they're dating you and they need to see you as an, as an attractive sexual being, not as, as a mom or dad at that so point. So not trying to make yourself look more dadly with other people's kids. Don't do it. Your Don't profile do it. photos. Now, of course, be honest. You can check. I have kids. I have kids. <laughs> Don't want more. Have kids. Want more. Have kids. I just have kids. None of your business. But it's just no pictures. And like, let's not tell stories about it. It's not. It's in the beginning of dating. They're mm. not dating you for your kids. Part of the part of the story. But. It's yeah. it's a story that's better told and not not swiped on. I think with this idea of what to have in the profile, the kids thing is interesting because you're kind of saying don't lead with that and have that be front and center. But if there's that option to check, I have kids, check it or maybe have a sentence somewhere 
because I do think that's worthwhile for people to know and might save you some time. If there's people who are like, absolutely not, then you're just not wasting either of your time. And I'm thinking about this because with non-monogamy, that's a big one. And that's one one that we, since the beginning of this show, have really been pro put it in your profile because it's such a big dividing line that if someone is not aware of it, it feels like you've misled them. Right. And if it's not what they're looking for, neither of you is going to be happy and you've just wasted everybody's time. And I think I think it's less common now, especially as more dating apps are putting that option in, kind of like kids, where you mm-hmm. can say, I'm monogamous or I'm non-monogamous. But before that, there were a lot of people who would kind of, you know, out of shame, like we've talked about a lot, leave that off and think, oh, maybe a couple dates in, then I'll talk about it so I can give it context. But I, I don't think the same principles apply there as they might with STIs. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I would say it's it, that's also true in the monogamy community. Like, no, you have to say you have kids, mm, but right. you don't have to make your profile about that. And I feel like sometimes we get caught up in this feeling like we have to explain it. We, and then we're, we're explaining yeah. it before it's even a problem. Right. So whether it's a kid or you know i've had people write into dates and mates like i have i have a disability i have right. you know i i i have debt like all of these things i have depression that, i have depression like girl mm-hmm. like we've all we've all got something we've all got something behind that behind the curtain and you just again think about it from the perspective of the person that you're trying to attract and how much information do they need to know at that time. And then you can figure out when to reveal that information based on when you begin to trust that person with that information too. Because not everybody is entitled to all your life story. That's a great way to look at it too, is that they haven't earned that yet with certain things. No, I had a client who had, she'd had a first date and the guy said, well, I see that you're divorced what what happened and she was like well my husband cheated on me da, da, da. i have this my kid has special needs i had i was i was a full-time caregiver i was like oh whoa, 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 whoa. did he earn that information hmm. like why did you get divorced on the first date i that is not that's not his business he's trying to shortcut and be like let me see if this lady is crazy. <laughs> huh. uh-huh. Right? That makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah. that doesn't, just because he asks a question doesn't mean that he's entitled to the answer. So you can always turn it around. Why would I talk about my ex when I'm here with you? <laughs> and a handsome man like you. Right? That's that's a slick one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got, I've got lines for <laughs> <laughs> Demona, it has been a pleasure, as always, having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I'm really excited for everybody to go check out your book and to get more of your insights. So where can people find you and where can they get the book? All that stuff. Yeah, you can get the book wherever you get your books or uh, check it out at fthefairytalebook.com. It's just the letter F. And then, of course, I'm on the socials at Demona Hoffman and I'm still doing the Dates and Mates podcast. So they should look up that episode that you mentioned and um, check out what we do over on Dates and Mates wherever they're listening to Multi Amory right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. 
Thank you. Great to see you both. And for our listeners at home, we have a question of the week for you, which will be on our Instagram stories, which is, do you have any unhealthy patterns in dating and relationships or unhealthy samskaras, you could say? We would love to hear from you and you can share those with us on our stories. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to multiamory.com join. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.